So we've uh, reached the book of Judges. Uh, just a, a quick uh, soap update for uh, those of you who are following the daily Bible readings that we've been doing together. I'd like to congratulate you firstly. You made it through Leviticus. Well done, everybody. Give yourselves a tap on the back. It was uh, fun, I think. It provided a few challenges for me and lots more questions than I had answers for. But well done, everybody. You made it through Leviticus. We're on to numbers and uh, making our way through. Uh, If you are following the Bible reading notes, then uh, we've got the new March and April Bible plans out. They're available on the welcome table uh, just by the door. So pick one of those up today uh, and take it home with us so you're all ready for the beginning of March. And if you're sat there thinking, I haven't joined in and maybe I was waiting till after Leviticus. Well, now's your moment. Uh, Why don't you grab one of those and uh, take it and you can join us as we begin to explore numbers and on into uh, uh, the New Testament. We're just coming to the end of Acts as well. So it's never really too late to start. If you don't feel like you've joined in so far, then why don't you uh, pick up one of the sheets and start today? That would be fantastic. So... We've made it to Judges. I love this book. I wish I was teaching just to the young people because it's got some fantastic stories that I know that they would love. Bear with me while I uh, go into my silly sense of humour. But I love it because there's so many crazy stories in it. Take Ehod, the the first uh, judge that we hear of in detail. He was appointed a judge uh, after the people of God were serving uh, an evil king, uh, a Moabite, and they've been oppressed for 18 years. And Hehod uh, knows that he has to do something about it. He's been appointed by God, and so he makes a very long dagger. And he turns to the king, and he manages to get a secret meeting with him. It says very clearly that the poor king, Eglon, was a very large man. And he couldn't run very fast so that they managed to kill him because he was so large. He thought that all his, uh, sl- his uh, servants thought he was on the toilet and they killed him uh, with a very long dagger. Well, we've got Jael who uh, managed to uh, hammer a tent peg through a man's head. She would have been very familiar with putting tents up. That was a woman's job. But she was an undercover spy and managed to lure the, uh, the head of the army into a tent. And she got a tent peg and hammered it through his head. What an incredible story. We find that in the Bible. That's more lively than most Hollywood films I've seen recently. It's more engaging than an EastEnders episode in my book. It's an incredible book with all kinds of heroes of the faith who are all a little bit crazy and a little bit strange. For those who I am camping with at the church weekend, get no ideas from this book, please. And young people, soul survivor, definitely not. I'd like to come home, please. They're incredible stories. Judges is filled with strange victories, bizarre happenings, bizarre heroes of God. But what the heck is it all about? Well, there are a number of themes, as you would imagine, in this book. But we're going to look today at one of the major themes of Judges. And I stand in tread of some brilliant sermons that Simon's been preaching. They've been fantastic. If you haven't heard them, uh, then grab a podcast or a CD. Uh, But he goes, and I get left with Israel's sin. Ooh, thank you, Simon. Let's look at the reading we had today. If you turn with me to Judges 2, you'll probably find it quite useful 
You see, Joshua, the great spiritual leader, dies in verse 8 and 9. And then we learn that they hadn't passed on the stories of the incredible acts of God that had happened uh, in the Exodus that we have learnt about in recent weeks. And therefore, Israel does not acknowledge the Lord in verse 10. They rebel against the Lord's ways. And then if you look into verse 11, it says that Israel did their own thing. They did evil in the eyes of God. They worshipped false gods, verse 11. And then verse 14, we learn that God left them to their own devices. And surprisingly, you may say, they managed to muck everything up. They get occupied by their enemies. There were huge consequences to their disobedience of the loving, faithful God that had taken them out of Egypt. And then they cry out to God. They realize they're in a huge state. They cry out to God in verse 18, and God, in his grace, raids up a leader, and things get better. You see, here we have a a cycle that they got themselves stuck in. They rebelled, they sinned, there were consequences to that sin, and then God, in his grace, stepped in, sorted things out. There was restoration, we read of peace of an unoccupied land. But then that leader dies, and you will see in verse 19, just in chapter 2, that rebellion takes hold again. It isn't just found at the beginning of Judges, if you'll turn with me to uh, chapter 10. And believe me, it's repeated uh, between 2 and 10, but here's another clear example. In verse 6, we read that again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of God. They rebelled. We read that they served other gods and abandoned the Lord. In verse 7, we read that the Lord burned with anger and the Philistines and the Amorites oppressed them for 18 years. There were consequences to their disobedience. And then verse 15, the God of love comes to rescue them again. They call out to God and he acts in grace. And then in 11 verse 1, we read that God raises up a judge Chapter 11 is about restoration, but then it's not long before in 13 verse 1 we read, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And off we go again. Consequences of disobedience. A God who steps in and brings salvation in grace and love. A time of peace. And then what happens to the Israelites? They get complacent. They lose sight of who their God is once again. They forget all the things that he has done for them. And they turn to sin and rebellion. Off we go again. And Israel's sin have a huge effect on their national welfare. If you read again and again through these verses, we learn that their whole livelihood, their whole freedom, was dependent on their obedience to God. Their rebellion led to massive individual issues but also huge national problems for them. And yet, they still go round this cycle. They still decided that King Yahweh was not enough. They still decided that they wanted to do it their own way. They still decided that the other gods were worse a punt on. They still married forbidden people. They still did forbidden things. They still followed forbidden rituals. 
the repetitive rebellion we read again and again through Judges. And once you notice it, you can't miss it. It's there all the way through. I got a late birthday present uh, this week. It's this little book called Post Secret. And uh, some of you will be familiar with the work of Frank Warren. He was a a community artist, whatever that means. And uh, he decided that he was going to print 3,000 postcards with a a mailbox address on it. And on the other side, it said this, you are invited to anonymously contribute a secret to a group group art project. Your secret can be a regret, a fear, a betrayal, a desire, or a confession. Reveal anything, as long as it's true, and you've never shared it with anyone else. wonder what you put on your postcard. An interesting uh, project to do. They were asked to be anonymous. And uh, what he did was he handed them out in subways in America. He put them in uh, uh, library books, in libraries. And he just kind of thought, we'll see what happens. After several weeks, he writes, I stopped passing out the cards, but the secrets kept coming. Homemade cards made from cardboard, old photographs, wedding invitations and other personal items had been artfully decorated and they were arriving from all over the world. Some of the secrets were written in Portuguese, French, German and even Braille. This is one of them. This was uh, posted on his blog this week. It's very clever. Take you a while to get a look at the cup. There are other ones. This one, I think, is a very clever idea. What a confession. (laughs) Brian's just got it. Why didn't I think of that? And a couple more that actually maybe express uh, some deeper sides of our soul. Then these two, the last one especially got me. It's a really interesting project. Oh, it's a really interesting project uh, that he did, and it continues. He's still travelling with tours, and he still receives them uh, every single week. It's an interesting project that he did. And there are millions upon millions of these postcards that he has now received. Why do I bring this to our attention today? Like the Israelites, we've all got secrets to tell. There are all things deep inside of us that nobody knows, and we hope that no one will ever find out. There are all things in us that we know, we regret, we hate about us, that we're sad about. There is all things that the Bible calls sin that control us and take us. I destroy these videos of myself as a child because it pains me to see a time before I ruined my innocence, before I did that to myself. If we skip ahead to Romans, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but I'm going to. Paul reminds us that we are all sinners, that all of us have sinned. No one is exempt. 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, chapter 3 of Romans. And that sin for us has consequences just as much as it did for the Israelites. Those consequences can look like regrets, like guilt, but they can also be things that affect other people. I told you it wasn't an easy sermon. There are things inside of us that, like the Israelites, have consequences. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, chapter 6, verses 1 said. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites, sorry, I've got this on the screen, the Israelites prepared uh, themselves for living in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. When the Israelites planted their crops, uh, the Midianites uh, invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops. They had nothing to eat effectively, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. The Israelites had consequences to their sin. And it wasn't just uh, physical consequences. It was the fact that God himself was no longer close and involved so much in their world. Poverty, pain, sickness, persecution, hunger were all consequences for Israel. What are the consequences of the sins of our land What are the consequences of our own sins? We're not removed from these things that we see in numbers. That's a tricky thing to hear in many ways. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But remember that cycle that uh, we had. Fortunately for Israel, for us, there is a however. We sang about it in our opening worship And we're going to hear about it now because there is a big however. And it's not about us. It's about God, judges. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. Then they got rid of the foreign gods among them and they served the Lord. And here's the really important bit. And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. You see, the people of Israel had done everything to disobey God. They'd worshipped other gods, uh, other idols. They had turned their back on the Yahweh who had released them from captivity, who brought them through the Red Sea, who provided land and had given them this incredible covenant to live under. And they turned their back on that God had every right to say, enough is enough. You have worshipped the other gods. Go see if they can save you. But that's not the God we're here to worship today. These little verses at the end here. He could bear Israel's misery no longer. He could bear it no longer. He had to do something. You see, even in our darkest disobedience, even in the moment of the deepest, darkest sins that we commit, God is full of grace. God saves us. We read that again and again through the book of Judges. Here's just a few examples Again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer, a left-handed man. So all left-handies, you're in the covenant, it's fine. 6 verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord, he sent them a prophet. 
When the Israelites cried out, he delivered them. God could not turn his back on his people, for that is not who our God is. Some of us need to know this today. I need to know this today. It does not matter what I have done. Nothing is beyond the bounds of grace of our God. He is full of grace. He saves. Let's explore this some more by looking at uh, some of the things about uh, uh, the rest of the book of Judges. I love the story of Deborah. I think it's fantastic. And she writes this. She sings this. This is a song. And she says, you need to know who your God is. You need to know that he is the king. You need to sing to the Lord. You need to put him first in your life. You need to know that he is the one who created the mountains. You need to know that when his presence comes, the whole world shakes. You need to know how holy he is, how incredible he is, how powerful he is, but how forgiving he is and how loving he is. The end of her song says that you will rise on the love of God. We need to be certain that we really know who our God is. When I was growing up in Sunday school, um, there were two people in my Sunday school, uh, me and the teacher, um, and uh, it made our not answering questions quite challenging. Um, and I remember sitting there and having to learn about sin with him. That was comfortable. Um, and uh, he said to me, Claire, what would you like to confess about this week? <laughs> I was about nine And he said, you need to know that you have a holy God and he does not like that sin. And I remember being nine and feeling completely squashed because he missed the last two off that list. I remember thinking and going home to, fortunately, a Christian mum who said, that is true, God is holy, but he is also loving. He is also forgiving. You were only painted a picture, a small picture, of God. And the love of God is boundless. I praise God for my mum in that moment. I think it turned me around quite considerably. We need to be certain we know the true picture of God. Deborah knew that in her knowledge, all that she could know at that point. She knew she could trust him and she was asked by him to lead the people of Israel back to him. We need to know who our God is truly is. And when we catch a glimpse of that, we begin to understand that that sin cycle can be broken, that it does not have to be like this. I'm coming to that in a minute, but one more to go with. We need to know we all sin. I've already mentioned this, uh, but we need to know we have all sinned. Uh, I'm sure you remember Sunday school picture colouring in of Samson. Samson is in the book of uh, Judges, and we to remember just exactly who he was. It says in uh, uh, verses 15, verse 17, that he was a proud boaster. And it doesn't take long for you to realize that he also had a little soft spot for women. Uh, So uh, he was not a squeaky clean kind of man. He wouldn't be a moral hero. I won't be teaching the young people about Samson in a moral way. Uh, He was not an example for us in that terms. But yet the Bible talks about the fact that uh, he 
had the Holy Spirit come upon him and that God used him for his purposes. I feel sorry for some of these Old Testament guys because they had their whole life written about. If you met Samson, you wouldn't probably know that he was, uh, had a soft spot for a woman, unless you were a beautiful woman, perhaps. But it's recorded here for us. You see, God meets us where we are. He knows that we are not perfect. He sees those secrets, the darkest things of our lives, And he doesn't say, go sort them out and then come and see me. He says, come to me as you are. I know you sin. Come to where we are. You see, God never gives up on us. It's an amazing truth. God never gives up on us. Judges goes again and again around that cycle. And there's not one point where God says, okay, enough's enough. I give up on you. You see, God never gives up on us. We ultimately see that in the New Testament through Jesus. God knew that the old covenant would only highlight Israelites' sin. He knew that that was not enough, that there were only so many sacrifices they could make, that there was only so many ritual cleansings they could do. He needed to do something new, a once and for all, and he provided Jesus. You see, God never gives up on me. God never gives up on you. That kind of is comforting. And so for a moment, I just want us to stop. And I want you just to look at the screen and read those words just for a moment and take them in. God never gives up on you. The next truth follows on. God welcomes us home. Uh, If you are a a fan of music, then you will know the Brit Awards happened this weekend. Uh, Mumford & Sons won the best album of the year. Many of you would have heard of them, some of you wouldn't. And uh, I find their lyrics particularly profound, especially in this song. It seems that all my bridges have been burnt, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but it's the welcome I receive with the restart. For me, it reminds me of the prodigal son who walked a long way home expecting his father to make him a servant at the very least. And yet he comes home to a party. He comes home to a celebration He comes home to a father who loves him and who never gave up on him. He comes home. You see, God never gave up on me, and I'm eternally grateful for that. And he never gives up on me in the smaller sins of my life. He always calls my name. He always says, come home. He always welcomes me back. He always loves me. What a relief. 
And knowledge like that can change our hearts. And knowledge like that can change that cycle of sin that we talked about at the beginning. Because if you realize who God truly is, a holy God and a loving God, a merciful God and a forgiving God, but also a God who transforms forever, then when we do come home, when we go into his presence with our hearts in our hands saying, I'm sorry, God, that changes us. That can break that cycle of sin. It can, but it doesn't always. Because actually, like the Israelites, sometimes we forget who God is. And sometimes we forget that he will welcome us home and we put things in place to stop us coming back into his presence. And sometimes we forget to come before him in confession. So just as I come to end, I've just got three things that are really practical that will hopefully help us uh, understand how to break this cycle of sin. Firstly, the Israelites discovered that when they cried out to God, when they confessed that they needed him, like in 3.15 and 4.3, and I could go on. As soon as they recognised their need for him, as soon as they glimpsed their life needed to encompass him, then things changed. But there needed to be a point, and there needs to be a point for us all, I would suggest daily, if not hourly, where we come before God acknowledging him. We started the service with a prayer of confession. We should have that as part of our ritual of life, Regular confession is a healthy practice. It calls us into a place of recognizing who God is. But the second thing that the judges knew is they knew who their enemy was. Ehod knew that his enemy was the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Achilamites. Deborah knew that her enemy was the Canaanites. You get the gist. They knew who they were fighting against. And that knowledge meant that they knew how to fight. They knew how to do this. Ehod knew that if he defeated that king, then he could lead the people of God back to a place of peace. Jael knew that if she killed off the head army officer, then the occupation would end and restoration could begin. I wonder who you, your enemy is. I wonder what your weakness is. A knowledge of that will help you fight it. If it's chocolate like me, do not have any in the house. That's the only way to stay below a size 20. If it's something a bit more serious, like budgeting, then get support and help. If it's pornography, put some Covenant Eyes uh, material on your computer. If it's uh, something about money, then get a joint account so you're accountable to someone else. We need to know where our enemy is, where our weaknesses are. And we need to fight against them and run in the opposite direction. But Paul, again, skipping ahead, uh, reminds us that our enemies aren't just of this world. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. We need to be spiritually prepared for temptation We need to take hold of the word of God, having it memorized so we can fight against our enemy when it comes. We need to know deep inside how we can fight and know who we are in God so we can fight the things that come our way. And then finally, my third thing, uh, James encourages us to confess our sins to 
each other. Ouch. We need to walk with others. We're not going to have an open mic here. You'll be pleased to know at the end of our service. But we are going to encourage you to find one person, another person, who you will walk with, who you will be accountable to, who when the enemy attacks, whatever that is for you, you will go to, you will tell. Because actually God doesn't call us to do this alone. He says, confess your sins to one another. Be accountable to another person. When the people of Israel called out to God, we need your help, he provided a judge. When the people called out to God, that judge was brought in to sort the immediate needs out, but also the spiritual needs of the nation. We learn mostly about how the judges uh, kept the Israelites on the straight and narrow about when they die. For example, 4 verse 1, after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did in the eyes of God. Isn't it the case often when our spouse is away, we are tempted to do something? Or when nobody's looking and the chocolate cupboard is there? That's my moment. We need to be accountable to another. And we also need to keep others accountable too. Who do you support? Who do you encourage? Who do you confront when they're struggling with a sin? Who is the one that you ask the difficult questions to? And who is the one who asks you those difficult questions? See, Judges ends with these haunting words. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever they seemed right in their own eyes. If everybody does what they seem right in their own eyes, you get chaos. You get chaos. I do not want that to be the motto for my life, that Claire did whatever she seemed right in her own eyes. I want this to be the motto for my life. You want to write something on my tombstone? Write this. I tried to do what was right in God's eyes. And that is a possible thing to say only because of who God is. You see, God picks me up when I fall. In his grace, he calls my name. In his love, he welcomes me home. And therefore, my heart can be changed. Those cycles of sin that are in my life can be beaten. And I can stand before a holy God and say, I am yours. Let's just for a moment spend some silence. And then we're going to reflect us through worship. We're going to stand and sing a number of songs. We'll run them together. And why don't you stand before your loving Father? Hearing what we have heard, I don't know how you want to respond. So why don't you take the time, as we use these words of the song, to come before God, perhaps in confession. Perhaps it's time to come home into his arms again. Perhaps it's just a glimpse again of who our God really is. So why don't we just remain seated for a moment? and come before God.